Hey everybody, welcome to episode 238 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I am discarding my planned topic for today to talk about the Shelby Houlihan doping case. For those who don't know and who have been living under a running media rock for the last 24 hours, we learned yesterday that Shelby Houlihan, runner for the Bowerman Track Club and current American record holder in the 1500 meters and the 5000 has been banned for four years for a PED, a positive drug test for performance enhancing substance called nodrolone, which is an anabolic steroid that is made synthetically but can also occur naturally. We're going to talk about the case and why I currently lean on the side of not believing Shelby's defense at the moment. I will reserve the right to change my mind, but there are many, many red flags in this case that I will call out and discuss. And yet, in spite of all of that, I know it's easy to be jaded. It's easy to get down when the sport hears news like this. As former SI writer Tim Layden and Olympic writer Tim Layden said on Twitter, Yesterday, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, either way, this is bad news for the sport. If Shelby Houlihan was, in fact, guilty, that's bad news because one of our best runners has been found to be a doper. And if she was innocently accused and convicted of this crime, that is also bad news because it's it means that the system is broken and is busting clean athletes. Either way, it's bad news. But I'm here to tell you, that there is still reason to hope. And my hope for this episode is that you will walk away with hope for the sport. My hope for this episode is also that you will walk away with a willingness to place a critical eye on cases like this. I, for one, do not believe that ignorance is bliss. I, for one, believe that in order to maintain, maintain an authentic connection to the sport and to truly enjoy it for what it is, then you need to understand the details and the issues that the sport faces in a way that allows you to be educated and then make your own choices about who you invest in as a fan. So I'm encouraging you not to turn away, to listen to this episode through. I will try to educate you on everything as I know it, as someone who is very deep in topics of doping and clean sport. And my hope is that you will walk away more educated and also more willing to dive into the details on these things so that you can maintain the hope and passion in the sport that I still have, that my co-host for the Clean Sport Collective, Kara Goucher, who has seen all the dark sides of the sport that she still has, because that hope is possible if I think you approach it with the right, in the right way with your eyes wide open. So with that as a teaser, I'll get to that topic in just a minute. I've got a couple of things by way of intro. First of all, thanks to everyone who signed up for the podcast training groups so far. We have received enough new members for the Rogue Renegades group, the group that I coach with James Dodds, and so that group will now be closed to new members. We still have some open slots for the group that we call the She Squad. That is our women's only podcast-based training group training for any distances for the fall. 
And so we're going to keep that one open for at least a couple of more weeks through the end of June. If you're interested, you can go to our website, click on train, and then go to the button for virtual training groups. And you can find more information about the She Squad there. Jen Howard Brown and Ruth England are our coaches for that group. We've got an amazing group of women already running within that group, training for all distances, and you can train for any distance in that group and we'll get a schedule that is customized for your goal as well as to your body as a woman. That's how Ruth is running that program and Jen. And by all accounts, it's amazing. I will also say that they're going to be going through a new series of books this past season. They worked through two books, Carrie Goucher's Strong, and they had Kara Goucher on their weekly team Zoom to talk about it. They also worked through Dina Castor's Let Your Mind Run, her memoir, and had Dina Castor on. One of the books they're going to be covering in this next season is Alexi Pappas's Bravey. And Alexi has agreed to come on with the group. So if you want to work through that book and also be able to interact with Alexi herself, then I would highly encourage you to sign up for the She Squad. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Finally, before we jump into this topic, I got to give a shout out to my sponsor for this episode, Care Of. They are a longtime partner at this point and can provide you all those daily vitamin and supplement needs. I'll be talking more about them and giving you a special offer in the middle of the episode. So stay tuned for that. Okay, let's jump into this topic on Shelby Houlihan. As I mentioned, Yesterday, we found out that Shelby Houlihan, via a press conference put on by the Bowerman Track Club, we found out that she had been banned for four years for ingesting in some way the performance-enhancing steroid nandrolone. That That can be found naturally in the human body as well as in the organs of other animals, which we'll talk about it in a second, but it can also be produced and consumed synthetically. That becomes a key detail in this story. But Shelby has now been banned. She is out for the Olympic trials based on a test, a positive test from December, and she will serve a four-year ban as a result. As a reminder, she is the U.S. 1,500-meter and 5K run, uh, American record holder. She also has nine U.S. championships in the 1500, as well as the 5K outdoor and then indoor. She has won the 3K and the two-mile races. So nine U.S. championships across essentially three distances, one mile, two mile, and three mile or 5K. And... Since the last Olympics in 2016, which she made also, she's been probably the most dominant American distance runner in her event up into and including a result that she ran with a an intra-squad meet last summer where she ran 14.23 to smash the American record for the 5K. So she has been the darling of American track for at least four years. She raced the 800 in college. Her Instagram handle is Shelbo800. And yet now she's a 1500 meter and 5K specialist and one with a devastating kick. So she had a press conference yesterday on that press conference and you can actually go and watch it. I'll link this in the show notes 
letsrun.com recorded the entire approximately one hour press conference. So you can go and watch it, see it for yourself. On that press conference was Emily Pritt, who does PR and media for the Bowman Track Club, as well as Shelby's coaches, Shalane Flanagan and Jerry Schumacher, Shelby herself, and then her lawyer, Paul Green. All of them were on there. All of them made statements. And the essence of the statements are this. One, they confirmed the four-year ban from a positive drug test for Nandrolone that occurred in December, and she was notified of that adverse result in January. The defense from their side was that she's been treated unfairly, that she had low levels of the banned substance in her system, that those levels of banned substance were consistent with having eaten pork meat from a taco truck, a burrito that she claimed to have had about 10 hours prior to her drug test. And so the essential claim here is that she ate meat that contained nandrolone, which can occur naturally inside the organs of wild boar. And therefore, that led to the levels of having nandrolone in her blood that caused this positive test the following morning. She was Her window for testing was 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., and that's when she was awoken for her urine test, and that's when they found the adverse results. So Shelby says, no, I did not ingest or otherwise take this anabolic agent. I was exposed to it through the consumption of pork. And the additional statements, particularly the one by Jerry Schumacher inside this press conference, there was also a lot of discussion about how Shelby had been treated unfairly during the process and how the process was not designed to protect clean athletes. Jerry in particular did not talk a lot about the specifics of the adverse result, but was essentially showing anger and employing, imploring other coaches and athletes to call for change so that these types of things doesn't don't happen to clean athletes again, where a lower level amount of a banned substance might lead to a positive result and therefore an extended ban as Shelby is now serving four years. So that was the other subchapter, so to speak, to the press conference was a call for reform and change and a claim that Shelby had been essentially unfairly treated through the process. Now, to be clear, to, at this point, we have seen only seen and heard really only one side of the story. We got the press conference from Shelby and her team yesterday where she claimed her innocence. We received a press release this morning from the World Anti-Doping Agency and its Athletics Integrity Unit that did the testing in this case. And they announced the ban for Shelby and then later today released a summary judgment did not provide evidence and details from their side but simply said essentially that Shelby did not prove her case that the that the banned substance could have come from the source that she claimed so they didn't buy the burrito story and therefore her ban was upheld by the court of arbitration and sport and she now has to serve those four years unless she is able to successfully appeal the decision 
to a federal Swiss court, which will require a Swiss lawyer and following along in the Swiss processes. So that's where we stand. Four-year ban for Shelby. She claims it was from a burrito with the banned substance in it instead of taking it somehow exogenously. And again, we don't have a lot of detail from the World Anti-Doping Agency itself about the reasons why they upheld this ban. But let's dig into it. I want to talk about some of these issues and some of the key details. And again, we don't have all the answers because we don't have the full decision from the World Anti-Doping Agency, but we do know that their full process at this point has now played out. So this is not a case of Shelby just being accused. It's a case of her being accused, her having a hearing in front of the court of arbitration, and her having that ban still upheld. So she has received a measure of due process at this point. But let's talk about the issues. And let's talk about why I don't believe Shelby in this case. In my opinion, and again, I'm willing to be swayed, but in my opinion, it takes too many leaps of faith to buy her story. And I've been particularly frustrated by the running media out there today that have largely defended her based on solely hearing one side of the story because we want to believe in the athletes that we choose to put on a pedestal, especially white American athletes. We want to believe in those athletes. And, and, and typically those athletes receive less scrutiny for whatever reason because of intrinsic bias receive less scrutiny than others. I've been I've been known to say and I've said on this show that any athlete with an outstanding result that seems to be out of this world should be questioned. I talked about it with Sarah Hall when she ran her result in London. And I said well, we should question Sarah Hall's result because it is one that seems to be out of this world just like we might question Bridget Cosguy's result when she ran that world record in the Vaporflies. So anytime we see outsized, outsized performances, we have to ask ourselves the question, can I believe in what I saw? And in the case of Shelby's result, last summer when she ran 14.23 to smash, not just beat, but smash the American record, not in super shoes, by the way. She was wearing, at that time, normal spikes, although that was a question people were asking. When she ran that time, it immediately had, had me asking the question, can I believe in Shelby Houlihan? This result seems to be out of this world. Can I believe in Shelby Houlihan? And the answer at the time was, I don't know. The answer at the time was simply, I don't know. But it had posed a question in my mind, and it isn't enough for me to assume that someone is innocent just by association. Because generally, Bowerman Track Club has gotten the benefit of the doubt relative to other groups at Nike, like the Oregon Project. Generally, I have chosen in the past to believe in those athletes. But just because that's true doesn't necessarily mean that somebody couldn't be cheating within that group. Because at this point, 
in my knowledge as an advocate of clean sport, you could tell me anybody was cheating. Anybody was cheating. And it wouldn't surprise me. Name a name. I believe in Emma Coburn. I believe in Des Linden. I believe in Meb Klefeski. I would say adamantly that I don't believe those athletes have cheated or would cheat. But at the same time, if you told me that they did or that they got a ban because they had a positive drug test, then it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because that's the nature of the beast in track and field. It's more pervasive than you think. And there are athletes that you choose to believe in that are ultimately going to be guilty of something that would surprise you. And in this case with Shelby, it doesn't surprise me because I had that question in my head. But I could tell you that any athlete I believe in, it wouldn't surprise me because of the nature of the beast in this game of track and field particularly. So in this case, when I heard about this situation, it didn't surprise me. I had a question in my head. That doesn't mean it's true, however. But it means just like anything, you have to dig into the facts and try to see what you can believe. And again, I am not here to claim proof or innocence. That was the job of WADA, the Athletics Integrity Unit, and the Court of Arbitration of Sport. In this case, they have chosen to say that Shelby Houlihan is guilty and that she deserves a four-year ban based on their process. And while we don't have the full details and evidence of that process, I am inclined to trust that process and those experts before I trust the story of the accused in this situation. Because the story of the accused starts to also get a little bit murky when you dig into the details. So let's talk about some of those details and where some of the questions pop up or some of the murkiness pops up in the story. First of all, there is the question of what type of nandrolone was consumed. According to Paul Green, Shelby's lawyer, on the press conference yesterday, he said that it was ruled by WADA and the AIU and CAS that she actually ingested orally synthetic nandrolone. Synthetic nandrolone. Now, again, as I mentioned, nandrolone can be made synthetically. It can also occur naturally in the human body as it is. It can also occur, occur in other animals as it is. One source of natural nandrolone is pig organs, the organs of wild boar. Also, you might hear the term pig offal, O-F-F-A-L. That is a term for pig organs. They are a specialty item in cuisine, in authentic cuisine. And it's possible that you can consume nandrolone by consuming pig organs. But if you're consuming pig organs, you're consuming natural nandrolone, natural anabolic agent versus synthetic anabolic agent. WADA says Shelby consumed synthetic agent. The story that they would have you believe on the Shelby Houlihan side is that she consumed natural nandrolone from pig organs. 
Those two things cannot simultaneously be true. You cannot consume synthetic nandrolone and test positive for that and consume natural nandrolone and test positive for that at this at the at the same time. I mean, I suppose you could, but that's not what happened here. We have a debate. Is it synthetic? Is it natural? In this case, WADA says it was synthetic, and they claim to have proof that it was. But Shelby's story hinges on the fact that it was naturally consumed inside pig organs via a burrito that she ate at a taco truck. But that can't be true. Simultaneous to the WADA explanation. So we need more details there. We need more evidence to see why WADA believes that it was synthetic nandrolone. But we know that their process deemed it that. And their process, as far as we know, is a thorough one that, while different than the American court system, does provide due process for athletes. And so I'm inclined to believe their story. Now, their Shelby's lawyer, Paul Green, claimed that in the levels provided in the test, the, the levels at which the nandrolone was detected, he claimed that you cannot know the source. You cannot know whether it was synthetic or natural based on the levels detected in Shelby's urine. And so that's his essentially counterclaim to this synthetic discussion and debate point. But to me, it becomes a really critical point in this whole discussion. If it was, in fact, synthetic, then Shelby's story simply cannot be true. And so we need to see the evidence from WADA that, that proves in their mind the testing that they did to determine that she ingested synthetic nandrolone. But again, that to me seems to be a key detail because the two elements cannot be true at the same time. You can't be testing positive for synthetic nandrolone and claiming that it got in your system naturally by eating pig organs. So that's question and murkiness number one. Question and murkiness number two surrounds the burrito story itself. Shelby claims to have eaten the burrito 10 hours before the drug test at a taco truck near her home in Beaverton. And so you have to believe that this burrito she ate contained pig organs, pig offal, O-F-F-A-L, which would contain the naturally occurring nandrolone. But there's a problem with the story. And if you listened carefully in the press conference, Shelby herself said she ate a burrito at a taco truck that serves pig offal. Her coach, Jerry, said she ate a burrito at a taco truck that serves pig offal. They never said she ate a pork burrito or that she ordered a pork burrito and then it came out after the fact. And I'm not sure, maybe this was a follow-up question from Let's Run, but if you read Let's Run's reporting on it, they quote her lawyer, Paul Green, as saying she actually ordered a carne asada burrito the night before the test, but based on what she ate, it was very, very greasy. The description of the others who actually ate with her was the same. We don't know what she was given, but we know that the truck had pork offal in two of the eight burritos that they were serving. When we hired the investigator, the carne asada burrito that she typically ordered was extremely dry. 
no grease at all. And the two types of burritos that had the pork offal, they were both very, very greasy. So now we have an admission that she didn't actually order pork in her burrito. They are, they are claiming that instead of a pork burrito, she got the wrong burrito, that they accidentally gave her the pork offal, the pork containing burrito. And that's how she got the contamination. So not only do we have to believe that she ingested the nandrolone in a sufficient quantity to cause a positive test, but we also have to believe that she actually was given a burrito that she didn't order based on the, quote, evidence that that burrito seemed to be greasier than it should be. So now we're several stages of belief that you have to get through in order to believe this story. Now, that's not to say it can't be true, but it's starting to sound more suspect the more you dig into it. And I would be curious to know who were these others that ate with her that night? What are the details of these various burritos? Do they contain enough pork to actually cause a an adverse test finding because all of those details matter and I'm seeing various things online about how much how much how much pork organs you would have to consume in order to to get a positive test and in some cases the amount is rather hefty so the story starts to get murkier when you get into the details about this so-called carne asada burrito that turned out to instead be a pork burrito with pork organs inside that caused this adverse test. So that's murky point number two. Murky point number three is sort of the distracting points, the bait and switch, so to speak, of, Jer- of, of Shelby and her team pointing to other cases as potentially unfair and likening that to this case. They've mentioned the A.J. Wilson case. They've mentioned the Brenda Martinez case. They've mentioned the Will Clay case. And they've mentioned other cases and said, hey, there are other cases of athletes having tainted meals or tainted supplements. And those athletes got off with a lesser ban. And so, therefore, Shelby should also get off with a lesser ban. Or this is proof that the system is broken because of these other cases. And there is a distinction here to be made between how USADA has chosen now to handle these cases and how they're still handled at the World Anti-Doping Agency level. There is a distinction there. USADA has chosen recently to, it seems, to err on the conservative side in cases of potential contaminated meals or contaminated medication and give athletes no-fault types of sanctions with very short or non-bans or, or no ban. And that happened in the Brenda Martinez case. It essentially happened in the A.J. Wilson case. It ultimately happened in the Will Clay case who had his sanction shortened. So how do we think about these other cases? And to me, these other cases are just really distractions. They're just Ways for you to say, hey, look over here. Don't look don't look at me. Look over there at these other cases. And that is a little bit suspicious. Also, in my opinion, a little bit dangerous because all of these cases are different. And in many cases, we're talking about apples and oranges. 
First of all, we're talking about different substances in every single one of those cases mentioned. And we're also talking about different levels of proof and different evidence that was provided to substantiate the claims of the athlete. In the case of Brenda Martinez, she was she tested positive for a diuretic that was unintentionally ingested via depression medication that she was taking. In that case, they were able to actually get an empty bottle of that medication and test it, and they found trace amounts of the diuretic in the powder that was left inside that bottle. That would lead you to believe that she should get a no-fault violation and not serve a ban. Pretty definitive proof. You have an empty medication bottle with powder in it that's tainted with a diuretic that's not supposed to be there. You can prove all that via a lab. And therefore, the Brenda Martinez case was more or less open and shut, no fault, no suspension. The Ajay Wilson case was a situation of contaminated meat as well, a different substance from what was what was provided in this case. And in that case, Ajay Wilson was able to prove via receipts that she bought and purchased meat that could have been contaminated with the substance at hand. And via that evidence and what we know about the meat in question and where she was eating it, there was some validation that that was a plausible explanation for the levels of doping agent in her blood or urine. So different case, different substance, different proof provided. And you saw it in that case also gave her the benefit of the doubt. And in Will Clay's case, again, another substance, another explanation in his case, he was able to prove that he was, he he, he was able to prove that he ate contaminated meat while on a trip to Mexico where he ingested clombuterol through the meat at his meals there, which is a substance that is a PED, but that can also be used in the cattle industry there in Mexico. And so different cases, different substances, different thresholds, different explanations, different levels of proof in each case, different, in some cases, agencies looking at these cases. And sometimes, based on the evidence provided, athletes are given a no-fault and a short ban or a non-existing ban and then allowed to go about their day because of the evidence provided, because they were able to prove that the, the, the agent, the substance, got into their system via innocent means. And so while it's fine, I think, to look at other cases and glean insights and pull things from them and say, well, this case is kind of like that case because it's a similar substance, similar explanation, et cetera, et cetera, It's also dangerous because when we're talking about different substances, we're talking about different explanations, different athletes, different thresholds, then each case is unique and each case needs to be handled on the merits of its own evidence. And so to simply call out these other cases as reasons why Shelby has been treated unfairly to me is a little bit of smoke and mirrors pointing the other direction to try to take the emphasis off of the case at hand. And personally, I'm not buying it because the cases in particular that they pointed to actually aren't related to the same substance or even the same explanation. 
And by the way, this explanation for I got nandrolone in my system because I consumed pig organs goes back 20 years or more. So it's been, this is not a new explanation. And yet they didn't use a case with the same substance or the same explanation to point to, to say, hey, this is why Shelby's innocent. Look, it's very similar to this case, same substance, same thing happened over here. We should fall into that type of case and how it was handled. But instead they're pointing to other cases with other substances. And that doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't really hold water. The other thing, so that's another point of murkiness. The other thing I'm getting to here is there's also these other reasons that got thrown in in the press conference that, that always put up my 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 spidey sense when it comes to clean doping. When you just start to point to a bunch of different things, there's no one explanation. Look at all these reasons why my 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 athlete is clean. Instead of focusing on specific reasons, it starts to get suspicious. And there's a couple here that I'm about to tell you that are really suspicious in my opinion. One, the lawyer, Paul Green, actually claimed that a distance runner wouldn't take Nandrolone because it wouldn't help them. He literally said those words in the press conference. It'd be silly to take it. It wouldn't help a distance runner. Well, we know that anabolic agents help distance runners, especially in the mile, which is Shelby's specialty. If you just simply look back to the 80s, when the, the steroid era of track and field, and all of the records in the 1500 and mile got smashed by athletes that were on anabolic agents because it helps promote lean muscle mass and power, the power that you need to run fast for a mile. So that is not a defense. You'd be... It doesn't help. It doesn't help defense is a hollow defense. In this case, we're talking about analytic, analog, anabolic agents. Of course they help a miler. Lean muscle mass, power. That's what miling, running a mile is all about. So, of course, it's going to help. So, that's a, a silly thing to mention or a silly defense. The other thing he said was this would be stupid. This would be stupid. It would be dumb of someone to take Nandrolone this way which to me actually pointed to a plausible explanation for how it was taken. He said that WADA admitted and sort of proved with the findings that that this must have been orally ingested nandrolone. Typically, it's taken orally or it's taken via injection. If you inject it, then there is more residual. It stays around the system longer. If you take it orally, then it clears the system really quickly. The lawyer claimed on the call that within 12 to 14 hours that the nandrolone would have cleared from the system if taken orally, as Wada said. And so it would be, quote, stupid for Shelby to have taken nandrolone orally and then not changed her drug testing window the following morning, which would have been 10 hours later because it would have taken potentially 12 to 14 for the oral nandrolone to clear the system. So to me, that just simply again, doesn't hold water because it's entirely possible that she made a mistake, that she was taking oral nandrolone and somehow mistimed it, forgot to take her dose for the day, took it a little bit too late, thinking, oh, they're not going to test me tomorrow. It's January. And then the tester shows up 10 hours later and she's caught with it. 
But this idea that oral nandrolone clears the system quickly only, to me, points to evidence that that's a substance you would want to use because it's easy to take, it clears the system quickly, and it's a steroid. It's an anabolic agent, so it helps you. It helps you do what you need to do. So if someone was going to be taking nandrolone in today's world of testing, you would take it orally. You wouldn't inject it because if you inject it, it stays around in the system longer and they can therefore more easily detect it. So while he was trying to use that as a defense for Shelby, to me it pointed to a very plausible explanation for how it got into the system and one that, in my opinion, might actually be more plausible or is more plausible than the burrito defense. So there we go. Another question of murkiness. Relatedly, Jerry also claimed that he never heard of nandrolone, which is, by the way, one of the oldest PEDs in the books. It's old school. goes back to the 50s. So to claim that he's never heard of it also doesn't seem to hold water as an elite distance coach. But those are just some of the issues with what was claimed on the call yesterday. So if I look at the story given, the basically the burrito swap story, the synthetic versus natural nandrolone story, there's a lot of things that had to stack up against Shelby Hula and the fact that a tester showed up 10 hours after she'd been swapped the wrong burrito at a taco truck. The bad luck associated with that, the fact that WADA and the Court of Arbitration of Sport have deemed through their process, through their due process, that she ingested synthetic nandrolone, not natural nandrolone, as would be in a bad burrito. Things just aren't adding up. And so if I had to pick sides based on this story, this Im- this hard to believe story that she got swapped the wrong burrito and it had enough nandrolone in it to cause a adverse result but WADA is actually wrong about whether it's synthetic versus natural and WADA's process is broken and and she's just being treated unfairly if I'm listening to everything that I'm hearing it leads me to say I don't at this point believe the story from Shelby's side I am more inclined to believe the due process of the World Anti-Doping Agency, the Athletics Integrity Unit, and also the Court of Arbitration of Sport. I am more likely to believe those sources than I am to believe Shelby Houlihan at this point. And so the fact that everyone in the running media is defending her just because she's associated with Jerry Schumacher, Shalane, and the Bowman Track Club, I'm not buying it. I think it's more plausible at this point that she did it. It's more plausible at this point that she did it. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't change my mind or that after looking at the evidence provided by WADA, there won't be more questions about the process from their side. But as I sit today, I'm more likely to to defend the World Anti-Doping Agency, whose this is their job, than I am to defend the swapped burrito story provided by Shelby Houlihan and team at this point. That's just where it is. 
And so then you might say, well, where does that leave me? That just leaves me depressed. You might say, well, what does that mean for Bowerman Track Club and what you believe in with them? And how do I find hope from this? Well, I will get there. I believe you can find hope from this and that this doesn't mean you have to not believe in the Bowerman Track Club. I'll get to there after I talk about my partner for the episode. Let's talk about care of they are a vitamin and supplement company i use them currently to supplement my daily routine so let's talk about it a little bit first of all their website is takecareof.com recently i actually got i actually ran out of my daily supplement pack since i wasn't taking my vitamin d routinely i just honestly been lazy about reordering and that came back to haunt me. I just got my blood test results actually this week. My vitamin D levels, while still in the normal range, are not at the place I would like them to be as an athlete because I simply got lazy and had stopped supplementing because I just ran out of those daily packs. And so it was a reminder that I can't do that. I've got to stay on it, got to stay with the routine, stay with those daily packs from care of that include for me vitamin D, ashwagandha, which helps with inflammation and helps aid recovery as well as I take fish oil as well for heart health. That's a part of my daily routine and I was reminded this week because of those blood tests that I got to get back on it. So re-upped, got my care of products on the way again so I can re-establish that routine. And so you can do that too by simply going to takecareof.com, take their online quiz. It's really simple. You enter their your goals, you enter what you want to accomplish in your life, what you prioritize, and they will give you recommended list of supplements to take to aid in your nutrition routine. You can pick from that list based on the science that they give you, based on the ingredients contained in each of those supplements so that you can make good decisions about what to include in your daily packs. And then they will ship you these daily supplement packs that contain high quality clean ingredients in their supplements and in their nutritional elements so that you can trust what's in there and know that it is good for your body. So that's how it works. So if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to takecareof.com. You can use the code ROGUE50 for 50% off your first order. That's R-O-G-U-E, all lowercase, five zero. That'll get you 50% off your first order to try it. Go take the quiz, see what you need, get an order coming so that you can start your routine with care of today. I need to get back on it. I'm going to get back on it as soon as they arrive so I can get my vitamin D back up and you should do whatever's right for you as well. So go check it out. Takecareof.com. Use the code ROGUE50 for 50% off your first order. Okay. So now, where do we go from here? We talked about the case. We talked about the murkiness in the case provided from the Shelby Houlihan side. We talked about why I personally have chosen to doubt the story and to believe in the case as provided by WADA to this point. Again, I hold out hope, perhaps, that things will change my mind, but I don't think that will happen. But I want you to not walk away depressed And you can believe whatever you want about Shelby's story. I just wanted to paint the picture of my side and how I think about it. You can believe whatever you want. But then you might be asking yourselves, what about the Bowerman Track Club? What about Jerry Schumacher and Shalane Flanagan? What do I think about them? And then more importantly, how do I have hope in the sport? 
if something like this happens? How do I have hope in the sport if something like this happens? We're going to talk about those two things now. First of all, I don't necessarily think that this means you have to assume that Jerry Schumacher knew what was going on, that Shalane Flanagan knew what was going on, or that her two mates knew what was going on. And I also don't think it means you have to believe that everybody on Bowerman Track Club is dirty. I just, I just don't believe that. From what we know about the history of Jerry Schumacher and his reputation, he is one that has generally tried to stay away from the gray. And so I personally don't believe there's any evidence at this point, based on following the sport, that there's some sort of systematic doping program, program happening at the Bowerman Track Club. And I think it's, it is entirely possible that if, in fact, Shelby Houlihan was taking a banned substance, that she was acting on her own accord. I think it is entirely possible that if she was taking a banned substance, that she was acting on her own accord, and therefore that Jerry and Shalane may not have known anything about what was happening. If you listened to them yesterday, they were fired up. They were passionate. Clearly, Shalane is very upset and distraught and heartbroken over this situation. I think it's entirely possible that if Shelby is, in fact, taking this banned substance, I think it's entirely possible that Jerry and Shalane had no idea that she was somehow taking it on her own. And at least at this point, there's no evidence to suggest that there's some sort of coordinated doping happening within the Bowerman Track Club. So I personally, while I don't believe in Shelby's story, I personally choose to be, to give the benefit of the doubt at this point based on the evidence to Jerry Schumacher, to Shalane Flanagan, and to the other athletes in that group. Now, this does raise a little flag, put my ears up as it relates to members of that team. Just like when Shelby ran that time last summer, my ears perked up. That is now a situation with this team. And so I also will be digging into it and approaching the group now with very much eyes wide open and not necessarily just making assumptions about people in the group because of association. If in fact Shelby's result holds up. And so yeah, it, it creates some questions in the back of my mind, but it doesn't provide any definitive proof, proof to anyone. And there's certainly no evidence from the WADA case that would suggest that this was somehow a coordinated, systematic doping program orchestrated by Jerry Schumacher and the Bowerman Track Club. And so at this point, anyone who thinks that or I think throws out the Bowerman Track Club altogether, I think is taking this a step too far. Yes, there are questions about Shelby Houlihan. Yes, we need more evidence about this specific case. Yes, we need to understand if that might lead to questions about the broader team. But so far to this point, based on what we know, it does not. And so I choose to focus on the one situation, the one athlete, the one case. And for now, we'll give the benefit of the doubt to everyone else. And I think you should too. So that's what I think about the Bowerman Track Club. I also, by the way, believe in Shalane as a clean athlete and have talked to people that train with her who believe in Shalane as a clean athlete. I don't believe that she would be a dirty coach. And so I, I, 
I believe you can still give the benefit of the doubt to the full team. But I do think you should question what you're hearing from Shelby Houlihan at the moment. So then you're going to ask yourself, well, what about hope in the rest of the sport? What about hope in the rest of the sport? And this is where things, to me, get a little bit tricky because it requires, in order to have hope and passion in the sport and still be a fan, of which I am, a passionate fan, you have to be able to hold two ideas in your head at the same time, have them both be true, have them both be conflicting, and yet not taint each other. And that is hard for people to do. I know you want you want to believe in black or white. You want to believe in good and evil. You want to believe that there's clear delineations in sport between who's doing it the right way and who's not. And that's just not the way it works. So you have to accept the fact, simultaneously accept the fact that there are dopers in running, just like there are in in every sport. There are likely there's likely a lot of dopers in running and every sport. You have to accept that fact while also believing in the magic of the sport at the same time and believing that athletes are still out there trying to do it the right way and do it the clean way. You have to have both of those ideas simultaneously in your head at the same time without getting jaded. And man, it is hard to do. It is hard to do. And so how do we do that? How do we continue, how do we keep those two ideas that, that yes, cheating is likely prevalent at all levels in track and field while also preserving that passion and belief in the sport. You have to hold on to both things. I think in order to have an authentic relationship with the sport without burying your head in the sand. So how do you do that? For me, it hasn't always been easy. There was a time when... I didn't understand all of these details of clean sport. I was more ignorant and I was just a fan. And then I became more aware of what was going on in the dark side of the sport. And then that for a time made me jaded. It made me turn away from the sport and not want to invest in it. But then what I realized is if I invested in understanding how doping works, understanding the hallmarks, of athletes that are likely cheating or at least that I would not want to invest my time in, if I can understand the hallmarks of it. And there's a handful of things. I mean, you can look at outsized performances. You you can look at rapid progressions that seem to be outside of the norm, suddenly having a massive jump in performance. You can look at the company someone keeps, who they associate with in training. You can look at how they talk about doping, because I think that's critical. If they get angry when asked questions about doping, that's a red flag. If they emphasize consistently their positive, their excuse me, their negative tests, now they've never had a negative test versus saying I've never actually taken performance enhancing drugs. If you if you watch their words, then you can see some signs. If you look at their joy, whether or not, and how they celebrate their results. These are all sort of telltale signs 
of potentially athletes that could be doing things the wrong way. And so then you can decide based on these things and you're not the judge and jury, but then you can decide who do I want to invest in as a fan. And then you get to choose. doesn't mean you know definitively who's cleaner, who is not, but then you can have more belief and you can choose who to invest in based on this, this education, based on understanding how it works, based on the hallmarks of some of the cheating athletes through the years. And also, frankly, if you listen to Clean Sport Collective podcast, we, we vet all the athletes on there and they sign the pledge. And so if you listen to those athletes, if you believe in those athletes, those are athletes that we believe in, that we vetted, that you can then cheer for and root for and still find joy in the sport. Emma Coburn, a great example of that. If you look at her progression, if you look at everything that she's done, yes, she's had some outside performances. Yes, she's won a world championship, but all signs point to her doing it the right way. She's someone you can invest in and get excited about. And then when she beats athletes that are suspect, you can be even more excited. So to me, education is critical. Understanding how it works so then you can make your own educated decisions about what's good and what's exciting and what you want to invest in versus burying your head in the sand and just saying, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, or worse, hearing about a positive test and then just running away from it. Don't run away from it. Dig into it. Dig into it. Understand it. Just like this case. I mean, I laid out why I think it's murky and why I don't believe Shelby, but that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I've looked at these things before and... I have my bullshit meter is a little bit different than perhaps some, but you can decide too for yourself. You dig into it. You read every article you read, you watch the press conference that she put on. You watch her statement. You figure out whether you believe in it or not and be educated about it. Understand the details. Don't run away from it. If you do that, then it actually will help you have passion and hope in the sport because then when you do find an athlete that you believe in, you'll really be able to believe in that athlete. So educate yourself. Secondly, look to others. I can tell you that Kara Goucher has been a big influence in my life because she still absolutely loves running, still gets so passionate about it when, when she and I talk about Current events and running, it's crazy. We could go on for hours because she's deep in it. She watches everything. Now she's announcing for it. She loves it. She does it herself, and she's excited to see other people do it. And yet she has seen the very darkest sides of the sport, the very darkest sides, not just from the doping perspective, but from the a, a the situations with Safe Sport and Mary Kane and Alberto Salazar treating women the wrong way. And she's seen... Nike and sponsorships that have been terribly handled and and have she's lost literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in the sport because she was treated poorly by Nike. She's l- probably lost hundreds of thousands, if not more, dollars in the sport from dopers who have stolen her glory. She's been dragged through the mud because she was a, a truth teller, whistleblower, some would call it about the situation with Salazar. She's had her personal life attacked and uh, thrown in upheaval because of the truth that she was telling. She's lost opportunities. She she has people in the sport that won't 
that won't talk to her, that have iced her out because of the stands that she's taken. Her life has been affected in more ways than I can even fathom or count financially, personally, emotionally. And by the way, that was her livelihood as a human, her career. She has been devastated potentially by the sport. And yet she still is passionate about it. She still is a fan because she believes in the purity of what running can do, not just for you and me as average runners out there trying to get our goals, but also for the power of inspiration that can come from those that are competing at the highest level if you can believe in them. And so watching her, man, she has every reason not to be a fan, not to have hope, but she still does. So why wouldn't I? I've never lost money because of this sport. The only thing I've been as frustrated, mad, and jaded, but I've never had anything financially at stake. I've never had my career impacted. I've never had my personal life impacted. And so if she can believe, then damn well I can too. And so that's something else. That's another reason to believe. And so when cases come up like this, don't run away. Educate yourself and then remember that there's still so many other athletes in the sport that you can believe in, that you can get excited about, that you can cheer for. And a whole bunch of them are going to be competing in the Olympic trials starting this coming Friday through the following Sunday at all levels, some collegiate, some high school kids, and of course pros. And they're going to be competing for the, for the biggest dream in our sport. And there's so much beauty in that. And if you're educated and if you know who to believe in, if you pay attention to what we talk about on the Clean Sport Podcast, then you can still have hope and it doesn't matter who gets busted. It doesn't matter if the biggest name in the sport gets busted because there's still plenty to find inspiration from. And every athlete that gets busted and gets busted for good reason is is another doper that has left the system that will give an opportunity to clean athletes. And you have to find hope in that because there are still plenty to believe in. And I get it. I understand the tendency to want to be jaded, to want to get frustrated, to want to just say, screw it, I'm out. When you see something like this, don't, don't do it. Dig in, get educated, understand the situation and then use the lessons from it to apply it to being a fan and then just take that energy and reinvest it in something else, reinvest it in someone else, reinvest it in someone you can believe in. So who are examples of that? Well, let me tell you, this weekend we've got many. Sarah Hall, perfect example. She's been going at it for a long time. She was trying to make the team in the marathon, didn't. Is coming back to try to run the 10K at the trials. Just won the New York Mini 10K in Central Park. She's a long shot to make the team in the 10K. But if she did, that would be amazing. And that's an athlete that you can believe in. Colleen Quigley, former Bowerman Track Club athlete, just left because she got a crap offer from Nike as now a Lululemon athlete. And she's going to try to make her second team in the steeplechase. She is now outside of the umbrella of Nike and speaking out for good causes is a great follow on social media. I've interviewed her on the podcast. She's been suffering with some injuries, so has some struggles to get to that next Olympic team, but that's an athlete to root for. 
Mariel Hall, another example. Bowman Track Club athlete. Ran at UT. An athlete of color has spoken out in the last year about the impact of being a runner of color. Trying to make another team in the 10K. And I believe that's an athlete. Went to the University of Texas. That's an athlete that you can still believe in, that you can still root for, who is going to have a whole lot of competition from a lot of up-and-coming 10K runners. There are many, many stories. Ellie Purrier from a farm in the Northeast, now the favorite to win the 1,500 meters at the trials. A blue-collar runner, if there ever was one, who has a chance to make her first Olympic team. So much to cheer for there. There are so many other athletes to invest in that you, I believe you can believe in. So again, get educated about this case. Form your own opinions. Take those lessons and apply it to being a fan. And then redistribute your passion. Redistribute who you cheer for. But keep investing because, man, it's worth it. It is worth it, and there's so much inspiration to still be had. So with that... With those words, I'm going to wrap this episode. Again, I encourage you to watch the trials. It should be on NBC and NBCSN starting this Friday. The men's 10K is the first distance final up. Kara Goucher, my co-host with Clean Sport, will be calling the distance races 1,500 and above and will do an awesome job at it. And again, there's still so much to cheer for. So please keep investing in the sport. All right, with that, I'll wrap this episode again. If you'd like to sign up up for the She Squad or if you want to know more about the She Squad, feel free to email me, chris at roguerunning.com, and I will connect you with Jen and Ruth to learn more about that program. Also, please support my partner at TakeCareOf, takecareof.com. Use the code ROGUE50 if you're interested in their daily supplement packs. And then, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter and social media or Instagram at Rogue Running, or check us out on our website, roguerunning.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.